do better. Welcome to Do Better Podcast, a digital content hub from Asade, built for minds interested in doing better. You can leave your comments and suggestions on dobetter.asade.edu. Welcome to Asade Do Better Podcast. I'm Pedro Rey, Professor of Behavioral Economics at Asade, and I'm here with Kate Barras, a new recent hire in, uh, in the Department of Marketing. Um, she comes from, uh, she's, she holds a PhD from uh, Harvard Business School. She has worked at Harvard and also at ESE, and she's now with us in, in, in Asade. Welcome, Kate. Thanks. Uh, Kate, is, uh, Kate is an expert in uh, consumer decision making with a particular interest in how we make sense of other people's choices. So I guess the, the first question is, is straightforward. You know, how can we make sense of uh, consumption by, by people in this crazy year? I think it's such an interesting question. There's been so many moments where this issue has really come to light over the pandemic. So for example, most recently, I think there's been a lot of um, coverage of COVID shaming. So the ways that we think people should or should not be acting. So for example, should you be traveling to see your family? Should you be buying these types of things? Should you be traveling on vacations? Uh, and, and I think implicitly, we're all looking at other people and saying, are you doing the right thing? Are you being safe enough? Are you uh, taking the right risks? That kind of thing. Um, and I think it's been, it's an interesting question. Um, we are we're using others as a reference point, right? We are looking we for- are, indeed, yes. And I, I was speaking to a colleague who thought, who had a theory and I, I liked this idea, which is that we always think we're doing the right thing. And people who are doing more stringent things are being totally crazy. And people who are doing less are being totally risky. So we sort of use ourselves as a, as a middle point And then we look at others to see what we should or shouldn't be doing. But, but that's funny because, you know, even our behavior many times is not consistent, right? So, so even if we use ourselves as the reference point of what is right or what should we consuming or doing, at the end of the day, we are not even and uh, we are not even consistent ourselves. So, what is the reference point? We, you know, what is the standard we hold ourselves against, right? So, yeah, absolutely. And I think if you look back at uh, how this whole thing has evolved since March, how far we have moved since that point, it's just incredible. And so, you know, even then, what we thought was normal on March 13th was not normal by April 13th, and it's certainly I don't think any of us expected to find ourselves in this situation by December. So, yeah. So, for example, with the consumption of uh, masks, right? I remember uh, a year ago for us looking at uh, many people from Asia, for example, where the, where it was normal or, or pseudo normal to wear masks, we were looking at them like they were crazy. Then for a while in March. We, we, we were kind of hesitant to buy, towards buying masks, but on the other hand, we could not buy them because they were not available. So we tried to find a way to justify that we were not making the effort to get those masks because we couldn't make, get them. And now we are shaming everybody who is not wearing a mask. No? So that's an example of how, how things evolve so much, right? Absolutely. And now it's what has been striking to me is if you look at any of these retailers or designers, there's often now a mask portion of their website where you can buy uh, designer brand label masks, you know, and so it's a, it's a trend and it's a fashion statement now, which who would have thought in March that that was going to be the biggest fashion trend of 2020. So do you feel companies are adapting to, to COVID or, you know, not only in terms of masks. So I, I, for example, I have a friend who's a designer who has come up with a, a special design bag 
that he called the hero mask. So it's to wear the mask, right? So it's it's a holder, a bag to hold the, the mask. So, so there's there's been some uh, some opportunities for for marketing uh, in in that sense. But do you think in in general, do you think the the COVID thesis uh, has been long enough such as companies finally have adapted to it? Or? Yeah, it seems like it to me. I don't know. I'd be curious to hear your take on this too. But it seems like at the beginning, it was people coming out with new messaging, right? So we had to be very agile with advertising and uh, it was quick, people were quick to change their advertising campaigns on, for example, social media. It took longer for television ads to catch up and then took even longer for production and that, and you know, the physical presence of these goods to catch up. Um, but I think, you know, I was making a holiday card for, for our family. And if you go to any of these websites, a lot of holiday cards now have jokes printed on them about the year of COVID and the pandemic. So you see this just trickling into all different areas of our of the market. And what about consumers? Um, you know, in these times of huge uncertainty, in which it seems like the uncertainty is starting to be resolved uh, due to vaccines starting to be available and all these, um, do you think as a as a shock? It has been long enough, such as we are changing our consumption habits or, or not really? Yeah, it's a good question. I was thinking about how this time is different from past recessions and economic downturns. And I think here versus the last downturn, there's a very clear and understandable cause and effect. So there is a virus. We can all see that. It's not a complicated banking instrument that's collapsing the economy, right? It's, there's a virus and then there will be a vaccine and then it will be over. And so in some ways, I think that gives people sort of a sense of control of what's going on. So yes, it's uncertainty around the timing, but people understand what is happening. Um, and so I do wonder, and I'm curious to hear what you think about this too, but I, I feel like people have changed their behaviors in the moment and expect that once they've gotten the vaccine and the world is more or less immune, we're going to snap back to normal. And I don't know. Do you think that that's what's going to happen? So I don't know. I mean, I, on the one hand, is 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 the is the one million dollar question, right? Whether uh, how are we going to recover from this, and whether consumption habits are going to go back to normal? So I think it depends a lot on the type of consumption you're thinking of. So, for example, in entertainment, uh, I'm thinking about uh, theater, cinemas, uh, social venues, right, in which we used to do our entertainment. Now we have. You know, for many months, we have been using to uh, download everything and have everything on screens. And I think at to some point, you know, uh, of course, there, there are still the, the crazy film goers. I'm one of them. I go to the movies twice or three times a week, or I used to, right? And, and I, will never, uh, I, I will never give up the, the theater experience, right? But most people now are used to watching new movies on, on their platforms, for example, right? So, so that's a big concern. That's the type of consumption that will be, it will be difficult to, to recover unless they find new, new ways to, to, find, uh, to find these customers. And I'm also thinking about uh, food, right? The food channels and restaurants and all, and all these things. Now we have become so much more picky about hygiene that we thought we were picky about hygiene in the past, but now we probably are going to be, you know, extremely picky about these things, right? So, so you know, on the one hand, you have the feeling that everybody has been restrained and, and, and the moment they give us a vaccine, everybody's gonna go out and it's gonna be a huge party. Uh, but that probably will last, it will have a, a, a strong effect for a day or a week or a month, right? But I'm, I'm wondering whether 
you know, what they call the new normal will really be the, the usual normal, right? Whether we have the, the, the whole experience has been long enough such that we really are adapting and we have changed and we have changed our consumption habits. I'm also thinking, you know, we are both academics, right? So in terms of, I have a seminar in Berlin this afternoon and I'm definitely not in Berlin. And last week I had a seminar in Florida and I'm really, really uh, sad that I was not able to go to Florida that I have to give my, my seminar online, right? So so I'm, I wonder, and now we have the academic peer market going on and we are doing all these interviews online, right? So. So up to which point, you know, traveling is going to, to change for the future, right? Yeah, totally. And I think, you know, even I was having, if, thinking about the going to the movies, you know, I was watching a movie with my kids. It was an animated Pixar movie. And there was a scene of a crowd of people in an animated movie, not wearing masks and hugging each other and in a crowd. And, and I felt a visceral reaction. I was like, ah, you, you should be far away from each other. Don't touch, don't touch each other. Don't touch your faces. And so I do think to your point, I think it's going to take a long time for us to sort of rid ourselves of these um, beliefs and, and knowledge that we've kind of come, come to have. Uh, in the in the in the short term, you know, what about the holidays? What about you know, uh, Christmas is a time of uh, huge spending, right? And I guess many things are going to depend on what are the uh, much of that consumption is associated with the fact that we see each other. We have these huge family meals. We have the we give presents to each other. And I guess you know what's going to happen with consumption. We don't know because it's definitely going to depend on what we can do and what we cannot do, right? And those measures are changing by the minute. Right. Yeah, I think that's such a good point. And, it, you know, if you think about the stereotype of the millennial consumer and uh, moving more toward experiential goods and away from tangible material goods and how there's been sort of a shunning of um, material consumption, you know, we're in a time right now where it's hard to consume experiences. You can't buy travel, you can't buy nice dinners, you can't buy experiences at a theater or a museum because those things just aren't available right now. Um, and so I think people are flocking back to material goods. I read an article about um, the resurgence of old school uh, devices, such as um, hand churning ice cream makers or butter makers and how people are actually going even further back in time. They just want very basic things. They wanna get away from sort of this modern uh, fast paced life. And it's kind of made us go back to a more simple time. And I. I don't know how long that will last, but it seems like that'll at least be a, a theme under the Christmas tree this year. Yeah, I guess, you know, at times of this huge uncertainty and this new type of uncertainty, uh, you know, the problem is that there, there, we have many behavioral impulses that could go in, in many different directions, right? And at the same time, you know, the policy making, the policymakers are also all the time trying to find the, the right Twitch or the right, you know, the right key on on, on how to control uh, the masses, right? So on the one hand, they are telling us it's important that you consume more uh, and you consume local to for to recover the local businesses and all these things. But at the same time, every time we have consumed, and I'm thinking about the past uh, uh, national holiday we had last week, right? We, people went out, they started consuming, and now the messages are, okay, now you are responsible for the new spread of the third wave of the, of the disease, right? So don't go out, right? So it's, it's very difficult to have, uh, to, to be sending all these messages that sometimes, somehow they contradict each other, right? On the one hand, the crisis is going to depend on consumption, but on the other hand, you know, the crisis is going to continue 
unless we stop consuming and we really restrict uh, restrict ourselves, right? So, so I don't know. I get too many journalists asking me what's going to happen, and I, all I say is, well, what what we are certain about is that we don't know what's going to happen. Uh, yeah. Yeah, and I think you brought up local businesses and wanting to, you know, be very thoughtful about where you spend your money. And I think, you know, just anecdotally, you hear of lots of um, business owners who who need help and need support. And so there's this really big tension between supporting the local community and then you see Amazon just shooting shooting off into the atmosphere, right? They are having record sales right now because it's safer and more convenient to order them to our doors. No, and it's perfect. It's perfect. I mean, the, the pandemic has been perfect for the business model. We are, all, we are all at home. We can receive our packages. So, so you know, they are, they are profiting from it. And, and we, on the one hand, we need those things. On the other hand, we feel guilty and we want to support local businesses. But then when we go to the local businesses, they are already closed. Right. So would there be a way these local businesses adapt to, to the new situation? Did, did they have enough time to adapt? You know, so have they gone online uh, enough or what, what do you think? I don't know. I mean, I think it's a this is an empirical question that will be fun to look at after this is There'll be many has already done. Right. But I think, it, yeah, it's pushed everyone online. I think people. You know, even in business schools, people said, no, it's not possible to deliver a quality education online. But, well, it is, and we have to do it. And so I think everybody is getting pushed to the limits of what is possible online. You know, there's virtual wine tasting and virtual travel. And, and I don't know how many of these things will last afterward, but I think everyone's had to adapt very quickly. And I think more is possible online than we thought, you know? So even small retailers seem like they're developing an online presence just out I of think, it. So I think a small businesses actually, you know, they cannot compete on price and they cannot compete on, on the logistics of delivering things because that's not their business. But actually they can use other things. There are type of services that they used to give in the store, like, uh, you know, uh, advice, and, and, and closely, you know, testing the product and being able to talk to the customer more slowly that I've seen some small stores adapting to it. It's just a, a matter of, you know, does it pay to do the investment to uh, to do this because how long this is going to last, right? I, I, I guess those who are selling selling masks right now, they're making big business, but, uh, you know, for how long are we are we going to continue being crazy about hygiene and, and, and it's going to become normal that we wear masks on the streets or not? We don't know yet, right? Yeah, what do you think are, is going to happen with masks? Do you think it will continue? Do you think people will be, I mean, I think, for example, the gel, sanitizing gel, is probably going to be a staple in any retailer now. What do you think uh, about so I think gels, uh, gels and masks are two very different things. Uh, yeah. I think uh, gel is something that uh, we, get, we get used to it, and, and it's actually not that inconvenient. I think masks, they stop visual communication way too much, you know, and uh, I'm not only a teacher where I, I actually use my face to, to communicate to my students, but I'm also, you may not know this, but I'm also a professional magician. So, you know, doing magic with a mask here in your, in your mouth, it's, it's very, very complicated because you, re, you rely on connecting to people through, through your smile and through your looks, right? So I, I basically hate masks. I hope they don't stay. I hope that we don't need them uh, because it's, it's really, you know, for me, teaching with a mask on has been... Uh, has been a very painful experience, but uh, yeah. let, let's see how it goes. Yeah. Um, I have a couple more questions. So one is about vaccines, right? So um, the vaccines, uh, so one thing, one of the big questions is, 
now that the vaccines are there, how do we uh, get people to, to actually to, to get vaccinated, right? Uh, how do we, uh, because there's this, there's this uh, hesitance uh, about, oh, for once, you know, they never came up with a vaccine for AIDS and now they came up for a vaccine for COVID in one year. Uh, is this safe? Did they, did they do it properly? And, you know, I, I keep looking at the, the medical research and, I, and I'm looking at the protocols and you see that everything is, you know, it's, it's normal. It's just that, you know, we got a grip on it and we, and, 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 and we got to a vaccine very quickly and that was good. But how do we convince the average customer? The, to to actually you know even one way is to make it compulsory but the other way is you know if this is a voluntary vaccine how do we get people to vaccinate what what would be your take on this i mean this is the one billion dollar question right is what kind of nudges or information do you use to make people do this and i think um, there's sort of two parts i think people traditionally think about vaccines as being safe for themselves and they don't think about it as as much as uh, an obligation that you have to the community at large. The and I, they, they create on others, right? Right, right. And I think, you know, we've seen this problem with mask wearing. So at least in the US, it was at the beginning, they emphasized the importance of mask wearing to protect other people. Um, and I think it's more effective when you also say, well, it's also going to protect you because mm -hmm. people are inherently selfish in some, in some respects. And so, you know, ha doing a costly act like the annoyance of wearing a mask or maybe the more seemingly risky act of getting an unknown vaccination, mm -hmm. that feels like maybe a cost that's too high if you're trying to protect other people. Mm -hmm. uh, but, it, you know, it, it's for everyone. And so I think the social norm route of just showing other high profile people receiving the vaccination is probably a good first step to targeting both of those. But I don't know, what is your... What would you advise to? I was actually thinking that, you know, we are very complicated human beings, right? And I was thinking that actually the fact that they are telling us that vaccines are going to be restricted and they're going to be priority groups who are going to get the vaccine first and others second, actually, that may actually work because it will make vaccines more desirable. Just the fact that, hey, I cannot get it because I'm not in the correct priority group right now will make me, you know, really. Uh, a crave for the vaccine and, and, and yes. perhaps you know that will that will make them take them more so so i think restrictions if they are well organized which is something that i'm very worried about how how they're going to make sure you know the priority groups are respected and and, and they are well thought of etc but i think that making it you know something that is not so easy to get actually maybe one of the of the avenues uh, and i think the other one is to get a famous uh, VIP people getting the vaccine and, 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 you know, vaccinating by example, right? I think uh, uh, the same way George Clooney advertises uh, coffee and everybody thinks that by having coffee uh, they're going to become George Clooney. Well, perhaps if George Clooney gets the vaccine, you also want to get it, right? So, so I hope they, they get the right marketing uh, uh, correct because otherwise, uh, you know, this, this is going to stay for a long time, right? What do you think about the use of obligation. So, you know, for example, an airline saying you can't travel with us unless you have the vaccine. What do you think about that? So I think it's going to be very tricky in that sense, you know, because we already have, so, so I think there are three types of groups. There are at least three types of people, right? They are the ones who, the moment they can get the vaccine, they will get it. 
there's there's a, a sad, but it's a growing anti-vaccine movement, which it's going to be very, very difficult to convince them. And even if you make it compulsory, you know, they'll find a way around it. Uh, and that's a small percentage of the population, let's say three, five percent of the population. But there's a big chunk of the population, 20, 30 percent of people who are hesitant about the vaccines. And those are the ones who need to be convinced. And I, I think the moment you make it compulsory, you know, the, the ones who are hesitant and start thinking, OK, if they make it compulsory is because they are not so sure we're going to do it and they need to make it compulsory. Right. So it's it's a very tricky line. Um, how compulsory to make it? I think one, I mean, the message that you send as a policymaker is very important. So one thing is to say, look, everybody needs to do this, or what you are suggesting, which I think it's more clever, which is to say, look, if you want to do this and this activity, then you need to have been vaccinated, or at least give them some kind of priority to some type of services or something that is not seen as punishment, but as a reward. I think the the, the big lesson that we learned from behavioral economics is that the way we present situations, the framing that we use in a situation, it's very, very important, right? So, yeah. so I think we should actually, uh, one thing I would like to advocate for is testing. I think we should experiment on what is the right message to, to, to send and with different types of population. We are also heterogeneous, right? So, so perhaps different types of messages will, grow, will work for different groups, especially because different groups have different risks, right? You know, young people don't see this as a big concern because apparently it's not affecting them so much. Uh, so, so perhaps the type of message we need to send to, to young people is not the same as to old, older people, right? For example. What do you think, what kind of message just off the top of your head, what would you wanna to say to, to the young people? What do you think would work on that population? I think the young generation is lacking a sense of purpose uh, in life. And, and we can actually uh, help them get that purpose. You know, uh, we, if we got the right key into saying, look, you really can save the world. I think, uh, you know, uh, they have moved a lot into environmentally friendly decisions, right? And conscious consumption and all those things. Well, this is another thing in which they can really make a difference. And, and we should find a way to tell them, look, it's true that this may not affect you as much as older generations, but it's true that if you don't change your behavior or if you don't get vaccinated, or if you don't start to have, you know, to be uh, more cautious about some of the things you do, well, this is where you, where you can put your stand, right? So, so, so I guess we should make this part of the conversation, you know, the opportunity to change the world or at least to fix it a little bit, it's, it's here right now, right? So. Yeah. It's, that's great. I, it reminds me of the, the ad that went viral in Germany of the, uh, the older man who was looking back on his life and thinking about this year and how he became a hero because he had to sit at home and do nothing but sit on his couch and watch movies. Uh, <laughs> so that's how you can do your part. And, you know, even I think uh, a lot of brands are also jumping on this same message of just do your part. You know, Nike changed its its uh, logo temporarily or its slogan yeah. to play, play inside, play for the world, you know? And I think that that message of community. The message is so counterintuitive. Uh, you know, we've been told so much that we need to be productive and we need to be consuming and we need to be doing. And now the right thing to do is to stay at home and do nothing, right? So it's very difficult to, to change the wiring of, of people's psychology into, into now the right thing to do is this, right? But, but on the other hand, it's a, it's a simple enough message that we probably could get there. Yeah. Um, I don't want to end without asking you a little bit about your research. So uh, among your papers, you have one on what's necessary for other people. 
And I guess this is a time in which consumption, what is necessary for people to consume? So, so can you tell us a little bit about your, your papers and how they relate to, to the topics uh, our audience may be concerned about? Yeah, sure. So um, a doctoral student at Harvard, uh, Serena Hagerty, and I uh, did a paper of looking at why lower income consumers are often judged uh, more negatively for consuming the same items that more um, affluent or you know, middle income consumers consume. So for example, a smartphone, if, a, if we see a lower income consumer with a smartphone, we think that was irresponsible, whereas it's pretty normal for the rest of us. And what we found in it is that we actually have a double standard um, about when we think about what's necessary for other people to have or to consume. So we actually think that lower income individuals have uh, fewer basic needs or more basic, basic needs. So they need food, water, and shelter, and that's about it. The rest of us can have more higher order needs. We need comfort, we need entertainment, whatever. Um, and so what we find is that it actually affects how we give to poorer consumers. Um, we want to give them food, we want to give them groceries, and that's about it. And so one of the messages that we hope people take away from the paper is just when you're thinking about giving, which hopefully people are during this holiday season, you know, lower income consumers and people who are in need need more than just the basics. They still enjoy movies and magic shows and, uh, you know, games and entertainment. And that's uh, something that sometimes people can overlook. So especially in these times when a lot of people are suffering, um, economically and otherwise, it's just a good thing to keep in mind. So, so putting yourselves in the shoes of the, of the others is not just thinking about them, uh, but really thinking about what they, they really need and what they want and, and, and understanding that they, they may have the same needs that you have. It's not just that's because right. they are poor, they, they yeah. need others. Yeah. Okay, that's, that's interesting and something to take into account for these holiday seasons in which hopefully we'll be able to consume a little bit uh, to hopefully recover from this crisis. In any case, it's been great to, to have this conversation with you, Kate, uh, and I hope it, this was interesting for the audience. So thank you very much. All right. Thank you. Happy holidays. Thank you. If you still want to learn more, remember, you can register on our platform, dobetter.asade.edu. That was all for today. Until next time, thank you. Do Better.